1: The Hunting Collective is presented by Element. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien and I'm sitting in a, uh, by a creek in the Missouri Breaks with Clay Newcomb. Hey Clay.
2: Hey Ben. How's it going? It's going well.
1: Fair. <laughs> Fair to middling? Fair.
2: Fair to middling? We're not sitting on a cactus, which I just had to make sure I wasn't.
1: I got to tell you, the other day I, I sat down, we were looking for elk, and I sat down in the spot where we thought there might be elk, and I looked right, I'm going to say about two inches from my sack was a cactus. Yeah, I mean, I was close. To There's really... a lot of cactus out here. Your camera guy, Colby, so he's not really a camera guy. How would you describe Colby?
2: Colby is, uh, he's the... He's the bear tech for Bear Honey Magazine.
1: Okay, that's good time. He's just
2: my main sidekick.
1: Yeah, and that's... Yeah, your main sidekick is here with us, and I think he looked down first and saw the cactus uh, kind of sidling up to my testicles and alerted me, thank God. Uh, so I feel... I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. But do, do you want to describe this country to people that we're in right now? Well, so...
2: So we're elk hunting public land elk hunt in, uh we'll just say the Missouri Breaks.
1: Yeah, we're not going to drop you waypoint.
2: No, you know this is a this is a distressed landscape. It really is. It was it appeared. I don't. I really don't know the the geology of this place, but it appears that at one time it was a a flat or a plain, and then some just over time eroded these big, deep draws. It almost looks like South Dakota Badlands type yeah. ground. A lot of fully exposed, just like soft, you know, uh, soft rock. Mm-hmm. But there's but there's finger ridges that are covered in pine trees that uh, give quite a bit of cover for the elk. But I would say that there's probably like 40%, maybe 30% tree cover. The rest is open country, rocky, yeah. rough, distressed.
1: Rocky rough. A few cottonwoods down at the bottom, Most, mostly evergreens up on top. It's, it's, it kind of feels like there's there's pockets of what you would think of as, as elk country. Right. Like there's little spaces, islands of like, oh, that looks good. And then amidst a sea of just endless buttes and, you know, stone cliffs. and Yeah. So it's it's... It's, it's been, this has been country I've wanted to hunt in for some time. Um, having read stories about it, having, you know, known about this area. Uh, if I check my Onyx, I'm pretty sure we're sitting on National Monument Ground right now. Um, it's and, beautiful country, no yeah, doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Is it like you thought it would be? I mean, how much did you, you think know, about
2: it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, 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 it's, uh, it's about what I thought it would be. It, it's... It's probably harder than I thought to get on elk, <laughs> and not to see elk, but that's what everybody told me. They said, you'll see elk, they'll be hard to kill. Yep. And that's been exactly true. Yeah. Because we've we have seen a lot of elk, but just because you see them and you hear them bugling, yeah. you might be, well, it's not even getting on them. It's that they're moving. Yeah. They move so much. These yeah. elk just don't stay. You can't. Just yeah. put one to bed and then come back the next day and it'd be, yeah, in the same place for the most
1: part. This country can be in, you know, Montana, especially elk country, can be intimidating. But this this country kind of isn't as intimidating as some of the some of the stuff I've hiked around before. It, it has a gentleness to it in terms of how you can navigate it, and I think that certainly helps us. But that helps the elk too because they yeah they can move pretty quickly yeah we're
2: not dealing with high elevations I think the highest elevations here are in the 3000s
1: yeah something like that yeah so you know I, I I'm like you you know when you're walking around this I, I feel uh, I feel poor that I didn't you know read about the geology here of the landscape but I will when I get back and and really study up on what I'm seeing here in terms of how this landscape came to be and, and some of the more interesting elements it has but yeah we're sitting here um, down by a creek in the bottom we hiked down here this morning and just by the by we might have to go there we heard a couple of about 500 yards across um we've heard a couple of bugles in the last half hour so uh if you hear if you hear the headsets Mm -hmm. drop onto the ground just and some shuffling hang tight tight. we'll be back might
2: be like an hour-long pause yeah
1: nothing it be an interstitial. We'll put some music in there. <laughs> maybe we'll just put some ocean sound so you can really meditate your way into what might happen for us. But we're we're towards the tail end of our hunt and we might have an afternoon, maybe tomorrow. You're probably listening to this on Tuesday. It's Monday. It's 9 a.m. So we're, you know, we're recording it real, for it. real time. Real time basically mm-hmm. uh, out here. So we should tell the story of this morning's hunt. Um, I think that we, this morning's hunt, you know, the last couple of hours we've had has very much been, um, you know, emblematic of the, I think, the challenge here in general. And the fact that there are giant elk everywhere, um, yeah. or or everywhere being being a, uh, a term I don't use lightly because they're around for sure. So you want to kick us off? And yeah, so we, the,
2: the temperatures this morning were in the high 40s, mm-hmm. and zero wind yesterday. It was very windy it was very, it was kind of a, b- a bust yesterday. Aside from late in the evening, you were out on the south end of this mountain and heard a bull bugle down low, and and basically you found an elk that uh, you messed with until dark, yeah. Getting to come in, and so we we were back there this morning. Weather kind of cleared out yesterday afternoon, so we uh, we heard elk right at daylight, yeah, I and mean, just just like what you would want we're up above
1: them. Yeah. just imagine if you, this, 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 uh, the end of this ridge that we're on, just imagine if you stretch your hand out, point it south. And if you look at your fingers, Mm -hmm. it's kind of what we were hunting. We, we were up in on the top of your hand where your knuckles are. And there are several finger ridges that you can travel down to intercept these elk that were, we come to find out already in the bottom. Yeah. Um, continue
2: yeah so we uh we try to course these elk we hear them and what we learned earlier in the week is that you can hear these elk from so far what i learned um you can hear these elk from a mile across the canyon so you know you are trying to discern are these elk close or these elk far anyway we heard we heard what we felt like were elk that we could get on we start moving down one of the finger ridges you know peeking up over ledges looking down waiting for the elk to bugle and he probably bugled five or six seven times as we were moving down and um, finally we laid eyes on him we saw him and he was down in the very bottom we were probably 350 yards from him maybe
1: yeah there's other elk across from us you know if you imagine that we've now walked down your uh, pinky finger kind of Mm-hmm. Down. we've now walked down the pinky finger he's in between the pinky finger and your next finger over um, down below us and so we're he's and then we I see him and you described to me a bull you saw earlier in the week that had a club hanging down from I can't remember the side that you described but right. in this case it was he had this this elk had a club hanging down from the right side mm-hmm. kind of above his eye a little mm-hmm. bit going yeah non-typical point that came yeah. off
2: the came off the base and hung about probably yeah. nine to twelve inches off yeah. his, off his head he's
1: impressive, and he had two cows with him, and it was clear we started bugling um and we'll we'll do a little bugling for you later on, see what we can do but we started bugling and he was responding and he was definitely responding to cow calls. Yeah. Um, my, my In my mind, I'm like, well, the strategy here is going to try to challenge him and cut him off. So you were bugling, I was bugling, you were cutting him off. He was responding. He was fired up. But much like if you've ever, if you listen a couple episodes ago to Remy Warren talk about bulldogging, and you listen to Cutting the Distance that I work on with Remy, where we talk about bulldogging, this is this idea where you challenge a bull and he rounds his cows up and gets out of town. Right. And that's what this bull did. He bugled back at us. He turned. He postured. Shifted a bit and then ran down around, you know, the tips of your fingers. If you're still pointing your hand out there, I hope you're still (laughs) holding your Mm -hmm. hand out. He's running down the tips of your fingers, down to the bottom towards the creek. Now, at this point, I knew from having talked to Remy and, and learned this strategy that if we could get in front of him, we had a real good chance that he would come stomping up to challenge us. problem is, as we just said a little bit earlier, it's hard to get in front of an elk, and it's well, hard to get in front of these elk. And what
2: we didn't describe fully is that the creek bottom is just a vast, open yes. meadow. It's a sage flat. Sage flat. So once they started move, once he started moving away from us, those cows were, I mean, they were basically trotting. Yeah. And they, they, it feels like once they decide that they're going to go across one of these flats, they- uh,
1: There's no reason to doddle.
2: Yeah, they move out quick.
1: Yeah, and so these elk, when I when we started going, we said, we got to go. Like, we got to run. So we ran up this ridge, and as we started to run, we could kind of see the elk moving below. There's like some humps in the bottom of, of these fingers. You can kind of see it moving in the bottom as we're trying to get down. We picked the, um, basically, your middle finger, and that's where we were going to go down and cut them mm-hmm. off. And so we get on your middle finger, we're walking down, and... You could kind of, we could kind of pick them off, and when I was picking them off, they were moving, yeah, and I knew I just knew there was no way we could be fast enough. I was like, "There's just no." I, halfway down, I knew it was it was, it just wasn't going to be good. My only hope at that point was, maybe we'll get a satellite bull, maybe some mm-hmm. other bull will peel off this bigger bull. He's going to be pushing these cows unless they stop to take a drink, which it does not look like they want to. Yeah, um, they're just going over to the other side and get in in safe ter safer territory. Um As is as is the you know, the way they use this country apparently, as we're learning through this time. So anyway, continue the story. Well, there. so we
2: we side hill, we come down a really steep drainage, we uh, go a bunch across across a lot of stuff that looks like the surface of the moon. And mm. basically we when we finally pop out in between one of these ridges into this open flat, we see the elk had already crossed the creek and we're way on the other side, which is not a place that we can hunt. Mm -hmm. And so we were, you know, probably five minutes behind them. And right where we popped out, there was uh, we saw where the whole herd had, had crossed the creek and there were, it's hard to say how many cows, but quite a few cows, but, it was incre- an incredible bull. The first bull we saw was a, was a younger bull, but he did have a non-typical point coming off his base. The Once we made it out into the sage flat, after we tried to cut him off, we realized that there were multiple bulls. And one of the bulls we saw was, I mean, a sure enough giant. I mean, for for my standards, for sure.
1: I mean, yeah, any stand any standard of measure, he was a giant.
2: Yeah, you know, big uh, big elk, man.
1: I've killed some some big elk on some places that weren't public land. Well, the biggest elk I've ever killed was on public land. He was in the three seventies of uh, you know, in terms of of a trophy measurement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you describe this guy. He had, I want to say he had six on one side, but I never. <laughs> I always make fun of people for saying. He was three hundred fifty-five inches, or seven by six, and I'm like, you had time to count the points? Because mm-hmm. I rarely ever have time to count the points. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get over there, if I can. Um, I Man. think he was a six by, but I don't know that for sure. Which means yeah. he would have had six points on one side, but it doesn't matter. He was tall, wide. He had Heavy. tying length from his from his fronts all the way to his tops. He was a real classic big elk, yeah. um, and he was pushing pushing an entire herd of cows with some straggling bulls, uh, up into the country we can't hunt.
2: And you know, this is the first time that I've seen this kind of stuff, Ben. I mean, you know, I've, I've now elk hunted two years. So last year was my first year elk hunting. Me and my son Bear loaded up our mules and went to over the counter unit in Colorado, Mm -hmm. hunted for four and a half days, basically. And, uh, got on a few elk, but just totally, you know, had never done it before, um, so this is my second elk hunt. Yeah, and uh, I I had a, a little more help this time. Our buddy Joe Farinado, uh kind of hooked up this whole deal uh, for me anyway. Had invited me, and uh, it's it's still public land. He'd never been up here to elk hunt, so yeah. we we're all all learning. But I had never seen big elk outside of you know Yellowstone. <laughs> yeah, you know. Listen, so I mean, it's know, incredible.
1: If you go to Colorado and you spot a bull like we spotted this morning, you'd be the luckiest man alive. Yeah. I mean, dif- depending on where you're in Colorado, most open older county units, you're not going to see elk like right. this. Um And you're not going to have. I mean, we're how far are we from camp right now?
2: Mm, as the crow flies, probably a mile and a half, two yeah. miles.
1: And you're not going to be, you know, camping and doing that. And so this, we were talking about this experience, you know, and I think. This morning, well, it's lucky that we get to record now and reflect on that because I think this morning's experience is kind of reflective of, of this country and this, this hunt that we've had because we've worked hard, but the elk, while they're here and they're big, they are tough to get on. They are tough to pattern. The winds are switchy. no matter where you go. Right. And then you get into these situations like we're in this morning where like they start in the bottom and they're going to cross and you got one shot. To cut them off, and if you do not cut them off, uh, they're into some country you can't get into, and you're never gonna you're never gonna catch up to them. So yeah, you know, as of this moment, the sun's out for the first time. I'm seeing blue skies in Montana for the first time in a long time, just because of the smoke. Yeah, that the we've smoke. had. And so I I feel lucky to be sitting in the sun right now, but but that's it. Seems like these elk are they've shut up. They shut up right after we you kind of they kind of walked off from us and. We had a few bugles here about a half an hour ago, but it felt like they might have been bugles from beds. You know, these mm-hmm. elk are already laying down; they've been up all night. Um, you know, we've had some full moon phases, and so this hunting, man, every, mm. every little thing's a challenge. Every yeah. little nuance is, is a
2: you know part yeah. of at least most of my hunting success and other for other species been has just been sheer persistence. Yeah. just trying. Yeah, and just trying for a long time, and uh, so this is our seventh day of hunting, and I kind of just figured we'd get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and when I say that, I don't mean like, uh, I mean all all successful hunters. I mean the the best successful hunters. A big part of their regimen is just persistence and endurance and continuing to stick with a game plan yeah and then at some point quote unquote they get lucky yeah. you know so i mean that word luck means a lot of different things to a lot of different people yeah. what i mean is i just i just felt like as many miles as we've put on that yeah. you know at some point we're going to pop over one of these ridges <laughs> and there's going to be you know uh a, a, a heck a spike bull um yeah down there at 60 yards and you know give a cow a call and he pops over the ridge you know just some fortunate this is true, thing though. happened and it and it has not now i was i did have an opportunity to stalk some cows on the second day i mean i was totally within striking distance of them and uh on the second day we were all we were seeing big bulls we had a lot of hunt left and i chose not to today if i saw a cow elk over on that Butte over there that <laughs> i see like miles away i would like commit my life to trying to kill it
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's it the shifting baseline is is always yes hilarious in, in and in a hunt like this you start with a, a goal yeah especially like we were talking about there's a couple points i want to make but one of them is the transient hunting a transient yes. you know travel if you travel to a place you're kind of you you have this idea that you you know you're limited time and that's where the shifting baseline comes in. Every every time I've ever gone on a guided hunt, your baseline shifts on the first or second day. And the rules always: if you would have shoot it on the last day, shoot it on the first day. Like if, if right. and that's always the best way to handle that. But in terms of, you know, how do we, how do we look at luck? Uh, I think that's an interesting thing to talk about because I look at luck like this confluence of events, right? Because we were mm-hmm. sitting up on a on the glass and knob the other day talking about all the things that have to happen think of all the things that have to happen for you to kill an elk and this goes to like looking on Instagram or whatever social media and seeing a lot of people kill an elk right Um, I'm happy for those people but it doesn't always nor could it represent how hard it is to to do sometimes Um, and other times it seems like it's simple as could be right you know other times it seems like just what you said happens I had a buddy that walked out on the ridge this year cow called twice and killed a bull yeah um, I've done that a lot <laughs> and I've never, and I don't think he's necessarily that skilled at cow call that more than I am, but you know, that's just a confluence of events that elk had to be there. He had to be yeah. there, you know? And so, um, think about all those, what were we counting? Like eight elements the other day. So you have to, you know, find the country in this well, case.
2: You've got to, you've got a, a yep. Yeah. Not just find the country. You've got to find the elk inside the country. Yep. I mean, like that's the number one challenge is you go to a new spot, it's going to take you a couple of days to find elk. And yep. it's real frustrating. I've yep. done it twice now on both hunts. And that first 24 hours, you just think, there's no elk here. <laughs> 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 or I do, anyway. Um, <laughs> I've not done it enough to know that if you exert this much energy, this much effort, you're right. going to find elk. Right. And I was with our buddy Bryce... And he, he was just, t- you know, he was like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna find elk." And I was like, "Really? You think we'll really find elk?" And he like, oh yeah, we'll find elk. <laughs> now, so you got to find elk. Yeah. And then uh, they've got to be bugling mm-hmm. for you to really be able to work them and and navigate around on them. Um, you've got to find a responsive one mm-hmm. that's willing to work with you. I can't remember all the other things, the things you listed, but it goes what? all the way down to you've got to make a shot. I mean, you could do everything right, and then the bull steps out at 43 yards behind a pine tree. And, man, it's, yeah, it's that's, that's there's where, a lot of things got to come
1: together. That's where repetition comes in, too, if you keep doing it. So if you have have to have those eight things, right? The other things are, like, you got to find the elk, right? You got you to gotta pattern them. They have to be vocal. And then you, it comes into what happened this morning. Once you find the elk, you have to be in the right spot. If if they're not going to come to you, you got to get yourself in the right spot. Once you're in the right spot, it has to present an ethical shot. Once you, it presents an ethical shot. You have to draw your bow. Once you draw your bow, you have to send an arrow. Once that arrow hits the animal, it's got to hit the animal in the, in a fairly precise spot, mm-hmm. so it doesn't run off and die somewhere you can't find it, or never die, or um take run for a mile, you know. And so, th- but then you have to blood track it and find it, and then finally, this confluence of events has led to. Success, any one of those things goes wrong in the midst of all of that.
2: And it's difficult.
1: You know, and so what you were talking about walking over here, I said, man, at least with a hunt like this, where there's failure involved, um, you know, nobody, you didn't miss a bull. I didn't miss a bull. We didn't, but the failure being just not able to close the distance or, or, or you, know, you
2: know, draw our bows. Can I say something about what you said about to tra- a traveling hunt? Yeah. Like, Man, there is this kind of potential to be deceived by people's success at anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It could be squirrel hunting. It could be bear hunting. It could be elk hunting. But, man, when you're traveling and you're picking out seven days on a calendar, months in advance, and you say, that's when I'm going to that place, and you've got to, and you're driving there, and you're, you're there during that time is not even in the same, it's not even the same game as the guy that lives there and is hunting and nothing against him because back in Arkansas, that's me. I mean, guys talk to me all the time about bear hunting in Arkansas in national forest. And I mean, and I'm an open book most of the time other than just telling people where to go and, deep in my heart I'm like good luck dude <laughs> that the reason that I'm successful is because I live there yeah. and I'm able to go on a Tuesday afternoon when the weather's good or I'm able to say man I found a bunch of good sign yesterday I'm gonna spend the next three days hunting where yeah. if I had just picked a date on the calendar would have been tough so you know y- you you see all these guys killing elk and man that's incredible it's awesome everybody has something that they're proximate to that helps them and i'm not saying you can't kill them traveling because we know great uh, there's plenty of people that do it all the time yeah so yeah. it's not but i'm learning that that um, that the real challenge is inside of the transient hunter you know and that's mm-hmm. fun um it's uh but it's it is frustrating yeah it is frustrating
1: yeah and that, i think that's that's yeah you, know, you add all those things up in the way you're talking about earlier it becomes like what's the definition uh what are you looking for at the end of the day and you just, and i i could seriously say i want to kill an elk yeah I, i'm not going to go on the internet and be like well you know it was a good time getting to know clay a little bit better and hiking around this beautiful country no i i enjoyed that i enjoyed that immensely um it was a valuable thing but to go and But you want to kill an elk. But I want to kill an elk. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sitting here saying like, well, you know, the value in the hunting is the experience. Nope, nope. I was a great experience, and I'll remember the experience. But I'm in the, in the mode right now where I want to kill an elk, and I'm not going to mince words. And part of that is when I, I moved to Montana because, for the exact same thing you just said, because I lived in places where I felt as if being a transient hunter was about my only option. Or mm-hmm. getting rich and buying a ranch, you know. You're talking about Texas, and so then you come here, and now I have a chance to build these credentials, to build this skill set uh, over time. And so now I'm at the beginning of that journey where I'm learning to call. I'm so you've been in
2: Montana about two and a half years. Two this would
1: be my second resident season. I okay. mean, the, the So my mm-hmm. second resident September, and so for me. I get to now say like I'm adding. I write in my journal every night, kind of like stuff that happened, stuff I'm learning, just little. Oh, notes. you weren't kidding about that. No, I wasn't kidding about that. Did I say that earlier? Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought I you were kidding. kidding. I'm serious. And um, I draw. I say Clay was nice to me today. <laughs> Drew a little picture. Yeah, I like Clay. Will he go hunting with me tomorrow? Yes or no? Check one. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do think that that is that is. Rewarding in and of itself, knowing that I'm closer to one day being out here and realizing I'm good at this now. Mm-hmm. Like I know that I would, and I would never have gotten here if I didn't do it the way I, you know, if I didn't get the intellectual property on my own, if I didn't yeah. struggle, if I didn't hunt mm-hmm. public land, if I didn't really become a hunter in the way that of the experience of failure. Ooh, that sounds like a bugle. Where's Did Colby? It? Colby's gone. Colby's mm-hmm.
2: off. <laughs> Go, Colby's probably Colby's got my going bow trying to kill an elk. He's
1: probably up there bugling at us to distract us. Anyhow, uh, we'll see if the elk comes down. But um, I just I lost my train of thought because I want to kill an elk. I don't know why I'm even here podcasting now. I think I might just go for a swim.
2: There's there's a lot of value in in learning something, and that's the yeah. same journey that I'm on. Different in that. Um, you know, I guess I'm just kind of putting my feet in the water of the elk world. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, Ben. Last year, my son and I decided three weeks before we left that we were going to go. Like, it never entered our mind to elk hunt until about August the 7th last year. <laughs> and uh, and I talked to my wife and talked to my son, Bear, and I said, let's, let's roll to Colorado and go elk hunting. So I ordered some uh, game calls and learn to bugle and do some cow calling and, and so like I've uh you know the, the hunting world has glorified elk hunting so much and rightfully yeah. so it's the, probably it's, the most majestic it's the greatest horned beast antlered beast on the continent I mean moose would be debatable you know but I mean it it it, it when I say they glorify it, I don't mean that in a negative way no but at the same time it's a very tough hunt. It's a low percentage hunt. Just about anywhere you go, anywhere you go, there's about a 10% success rate for elk hunters.
0: Yeah,
1: and arch. I think, it's, I think it's specifically archery, archery okay. I think. Okay, okay. But I don't know that. Well,
2: that's probably right. And then we heard, uh, was it Joe the other day that said, of the 10% that are successful, if you broke that, cat, those people down, it would be a very small percentage of successful hunters that are inside of that 10%. Like basically it's yes. the same 10% of people.
1: Yeah. The, the transient hunter idea is, is a, the successful hunter hunters, a small percentage of that 10%. Yes. There you go. There you go. And, and I, I think that that's where a guide comes in. That's where somebody, that's where these hunts where you either hire You know I mean? We could have hired a guide for public land here. Um, if we wanted to, or we could have, you could have went and paid, um, what it would have taken to, to hunt this country with a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's just, even even as somebody who travels, and I know guys that travel from Texas to Colorado every year. I know guys that travel from Pennsylvania to Wyoming every year. Um, I have friends that would only wish to one day do what we're doing. And, and we're probably listening to this or will listen to this and will wonder if this could be them they could be here in this beautiful country, having chased giant elk and failed miserably. Um, and it can, it can, yeah, it can be you. Um, and you can choose to, you know, to, to approach in any which way, you know, whether it's you really want to kill an elk, but just to go elk hunt is to yeah. see it, to test the waters, as you said, to dip your toe in. I dip my toe in over the last five or six years. I killed a, an elk every year for four straight years before mm-hmm. I moved to Montana. <laughs> in Montana and I felt like and I said this when I moved I felt like this transient this is a very successful transient elk hunter who wasn't learning the craft you come to my house you walk around my house you'd be like man this dude is an elk killer like look at these giant elk you hangra. have an elk tattoo uh, yeah you don't want to see where Okay. it's right above it's a, it's a stamp Um, but you come to my house and you'd be like yeah look at this you would ask right. me about the elk, and we would yeah. look at them, and we, you would marvel at how big a couple of them are. Um, but that doesn't mean that I that I know what I'm doing. That doesn't mean that I know this craft, and I have the skill set to transfer what I've learned on those killing those big elk into what I'm doing now. Yeah. And so, in a way, I had to start over mm-hmm. and, and really commit myself, both for my both for myself and in. In I appreciate
2: area. the honesty of that, you know? Yeah. Because it's not all just about having a big animal, but it's about the the way, yeah. the way that the it way. happened. And, and, and not that those have any yeah. less value. Right, We're going right. to the same place. Yeah, let
1: me just say, I'm not, I am i wouldn't be like, well I, I, I would say the honesty of this elk because I got to go to a place and I, somebody helped me, showed me where they were, and I got it done from there. If we go back to like the eight elements of the things that have to come together to be successful in those instances, you eliminate a few of them, four of them right. probably, but you still have to do the right. other in, four In things, a guided right?
2: situation, a private yeah. land situation, yeah. you're losing you, some of those things become less important.
1: Exactly. Those um, fa- those challenge factors. Exactly. And, well, the biggest elk I've ever killed was on public land in the place I'd never been before. Right. Um, and so that, I, I I can say that, but I didn't, again, I was still a transient hunter. I didn't know how to call them. I didn't really know how they used the country other than that there were a lot of them, and I was lucky to be in the area that I was in, yeah, um, in Utah. I was lucky to draw a tag that would allow me to hunt a place where it was abundant with giant elk, yeah. and I was lucky enough to have a rifle in my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it goes back to stuff we talk about all the time. What kind of challenge do you want, and what kind of outcome do you desire? And then once you get that outcome, like me, would you shift the baseline to say, like, killing a big elk is great but being able to take you out and your son bear out in a couple of years and really have this down um i think is just my goal shifted my goal shifted to that and and that's kind of why i want to kill elk so bad yeah because i want to see this pay off because i have spent a lot of time away from my family and 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 i you know i feel that
0: and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth.
2: I like the idea of coming back to a specific place year after year if you could get the tag and really learn it. My most, my most valuable hunting experiences have been in places that i was connected to the place yeah and that connection doesn't have to mean that you're from there or your dad hunted there not that but just i'm now i've spent seven days of sweat on these mountains yeah and uh and spent it with good friends here and um, Colby's
1: colby. colby colby did you hear any elk yeah. i heard one did you, right really? that's the same, that's the same, same one boy. he's in his bed isn't he He'll come down to water, we'll kill him. See if you could push him over here. Why don't you walk around? Let's take it interst- we're gonna take it interstitial. You guys can test my new bugling abilities and see if you like it here. We'll take a quick interstitial break for me to bugle at this elk. Hang on. Go ahead and uh narr yeah. go ahead and narrate this.
2: so yeah, Ben is uh he's got his Phelps bugle tube here.
1: <laughs> Gotta test it out. You have to test it out and make sure the that- He didn't blow out the latex.
2: Ben Ben has had a a challenge finding a diaphragm collar to fit his mouth. I've heard, Um, (laughs) but he's uh, he's got okay. Here we go. Listener Ben makes odd gyrations (laughs) when he bugles, moves from side to side. It really gives the the sound some yeah realism realism yeah
1: i don't want to be a stationary bugler i'm I, i'm working on the like the levels like the building of the woo, woo, like the yeah i'm working on the bridge and yeah the, and and the other parts so whatever but yeah i'm like you dude i picked up a elk call two years ago and i thought you know i saw i've been around again i've been around hunters that are exceptional at calling some of the best in in the in the country, in the world. And um, having seen that, I'm like, well, I got a long way to go. But it's nice to be getting there. It's nice to be like traveling yeah. down the road to really learn yeah. something, really, really learn. Well,
2: on this hunt, what I learned, Ben, last year in Colorado, we we actually called a bull in on the third day, two bulls that I didn't realize were legal. And so I was at full draw and passed a bull at 18 yards. that ended up being legal, and I didn't know it because I didn't know fully the regs. But that was the only elk encounter I had ever in a hunting situation. This hunt has been really valuable to me because we, we have been watching elk. We're, we're kind of watching what they do. I'm able to come back to the same place day after day and see, you know, answer some of these questions of like, well, there were elk there today. Are there going to be elk there tomorrow? And most of the time in this country, the answer has been No. Um, but a few times they've been in the same areas. But just been able to watch these elk, listen to them vocalize, listen to them bugle. Uh, This was the first hunt I've heard an elk bugle, Ben. Yeah. In Colorado last year, even though we called in two raghorns, we did not hear a bugle the entire hunt. Mm. Mm. Uh, We were there early. But uh, so this, yeah, this has been an incredible experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we're not, we didn't hit the rut either. I mean, this is not... Uh, we're getting there. They're starting to round up their cows and, and move them around the bigger bulls, but we're not we're not in the peak of it. You know, Some people think of it like, like there's a day where it turns on, and that day shifts depending on where you are. But like there's a day where you just feel like there's slobbering elk willing to run to 10 feet of you just to check you out if you Man. make the right sounds. We haven't ex- quite experienced that, but it's been close to that. We had a, Yesterday was a windy crap of a day kind of yeah but today is beautiful that wind blew out all the smoke and today is, is a beautiful blue sky day and then yeah and this morning you just you know when the light came up and the and the drainage were in like they just started to you know for the first time i've seen it in a couple of weeks it started to kiss the tops of these ridges and you, you felt like you were in you know late september out Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's there's definitely a feeling there too, and there's nothing more fun than that chess game we played today. Because I I would say just you know by the by, on the point that we were making about learning how to be an El Connor, really learning, we made the right plays. Yeah, we were cautious enough to get above them and see where they were and what they wanted to do, and then when they moved, we moved, we ran and we moved fast, and we were just I mean we missed them by ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, if they would have stopped and got a drink of water, if they would have, if a bull would have came and and challenged the that bull with the the club, you know, maybe they would have stopped for ten minutes. And if yeah. we can't, we popped out into the creek where we did.
2: We were right on them. We were on. We them. saw their tracks.
1: We're, you know, they would have been eighty, ninety yards from where we popped out. We could have made a call and and we completed the bulldog and that we talked about earlier. So I mean, it's you know, it's clo- close is close is close. You know, feels yeah. good to be close, but yeah, it still it still irks you a little bit. Uh, but you brought your boy out here, huh?
2: Yeah. So so bear Bear's fourteen years old. He did have to miss some school, but they're doing uh, quite a bit of virtual schooling. So my wife and I made the decision that he was going to come with me. And uh, man, here Ben, you've got younger kids. I've got older kids this is what I've learned. When they turn 16, you, you often think when they turn 18 and like go to college, you kind of lose a, you know, they break away just a little bit. Well, when they turn 16 and get a car and start getting jobs, they can't go with dad for 10 days, wherever they want. And so, uh, it bears 14. And I I told my wife, I said, you know, there's only a couple more years where, you know, he's not going to have a, you know, usually our kids get a job when they're sixteen, and we try to start introducing them to being uh, a normal, good human, and working. And uh, so, I, I I wanted Bear to come. I wanted him to to experience this, and to, we've we've worked him. Um, yeah, so it's been great having him here. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, is that you guys have gone on other hunts? Obviously, do you see changes in him when he comes to this country? Do you see like that he appreciates the time with you, the time in camp, the time like.
2: You know, I think there's value at different levels. There's the to me, there's like this responsibility that he's learning from. I talked to him about his school, you know, just like, hey man, if you're going to come, you're really going to have to, you can't do bad in a class. I, I will be in, my reputation will be ruined. Uh, <laughs> you, so there's responsibility of if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you have to be responsible in other areas of your life, and Ben, that's something I talk about all the time. As hunters, we talk about limiting factors in our hunting, and we try to be like better elk collars and better, and better shape, and all this. And a lot of us, if we took care of the other parts of our life better, yeah, we would have more time, yeah, and we would, and that time would be more quality time because we wouldn't be. Uh, stressed out about all the chaos that's in other places
1: let me just say as a point as a great point because preparedness for hunting is is directly correlates with what you just said how much time you spend shooting your bow how much time you spend getting your gear prepared how much time you spend looking at onyx maps is how much time you have to do those things and can commit to those things i i vacillate sometimes i'm like i'm really prepared and other times like man work was crazy kids were crazy yeah kids started school in september um, it got wild. Um,
2: and, and what I'm saying is that limiting factor often is, uh, is, is time. Like that's the biggest thing is just like your time away. So what I'm teaching bear is that, Hey, you take care of business and these other portions of life, and then you'll have the time. So that was the number one thing it, because last year when I took him, Ben and my wife readily brought this up to me he he came back and kind of had a hard time jumping back into the routine and so I, I told him I said hey you think you can do this? and so that was a personal challenge for him and and he's he's already done a lot of his work um so that's this like real functional responsibility thing um man when a young kid is 14 years old they the, a young boy they, they every kid's different but you know they're starting to find their own identity hmm. and and part of that identity sometimes is seeing your dad or or maybe where your dad wasn't always right. I mean they're kind of just awakening into adulthood. And uh you know what I wanted for bearing on this trip was you know I wanted to uh I wanted to show him that I valued him enough to bring him on something that was really important to me. And so I, I think this this trip for us has been uh I think he's he is appreciated that I brought him if I could it, it sounds yeah. really simple but Bear's not super uh, expressive uh, I told I told somebody yesterday he's probably the least uh visibly expressive <laughs> of any of the kids you know uh in uh but so that's important man for a kid to just know that his dad loves him that sounds simple but we all as adults even deal with this fatherly issue inside of our life of wanting to be validated wanting to be accepted um wanting to be challenged and given instruction from a father we all have that desire we really do even if it's hard sometimes and so yeah it's been i think that's been that's been good for us Um, and bear is a good woodsman, man. I tell you what, I would, I would take, I would put, he's inexperienced, but I would put, I would say bear Newcomb, saddle up that mule and ride all the way over to that mountain and see if you find
1: elk and he'd do it. Oh yeah. He saddled up. He's out. I'm going to go glass for elk on this knob. And he just saddled up the mule and, and off he went. And I thought, why? I know some 30 year old men that couldn't do that. Or wouldn't do that, or might fall off that mule. That mule probably would do it. Bear's got a lot of desire, too, for hunting. Like, all my
2: kids have hunted uh, and have different varying levels of true interest in it. Bear, I mean, I really think, I mean, he's going to be a hunter. He he has a lot of desire. Um, and not every kid's going to have that the same. You know, he, I've said many times before, I, I don't. I mean, yeah, I want my kids to be hunters, but they're not supposed to take it as serious as I am. I yeah. mean, like, yes. th- th- that's the other thing inside of hunting is, like, you hear not everybody has to take it ultra serious. There's there's value in the guy that goes to deer camp three days a year and buys a hunting license and contributes to conservation. And, that's right. And, you know, kills a deer then there's also the value in the guys like us that are like dedicated our lives to it, like to the extreme and have found a way to, you know, provide for our families through it financially. Not everybody's supposed to be like that. So I don't think I don't need all my kids to be that, but, uh, but Bear loves it. And he,
1: yeah, I would almost, you know, I don't know. I I hate to even uh, speculate about this, but you know, my son is about to turn four and I think of, this idea that I don't want him to try to be what I, if he said, dad, I want to have a podcast, (laughs) I would say, okay, if that's what you really want, um, I want you to take part in the things I take part in, but I want you to find your own way to it. You know, I found my own way, my dad hunts, but I found my own way. And then I eventually brought him along with me, um, which is awesome for both of us, I think. And so if he said, dad, I want to be a wildlife biologist, that would be the I would be so thrilled to hear that because he would find his own way to the appreciations that I've found instead of trying to copycat his, you know, even right. at any age, really. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know at some age you just want to follow your dad. And that's how I yeah. was. At like 12 years old, all I wanted to do is follow my dad. I didn't really care where. And hunting was very much just like having a sandwich with him in the woods. It was yeah, that Man,
2: matter. that's valuable, Ben. To have a 12-year-old or 14-year-old that wants to follow their dad yeah, is a big deal. Yeah. And in, in th- the trend of the age, is uh, is broken up families in whatever way, and th- th- anything that can bring that back together is a positive thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. And that those those years for me defined a lot of what I do, um, in a strange way. And like, and I think you put it well to say that you know you really want to follow your dad but you also want to have this relationship that has a little more definition to it and in the woods there is definition to it i'm the leader you follow me i tell you i tell you to point and shoot i tell you when to take the safety off i tell you what how to be safe with a with a firearm or archery tackle i tell you how to shut the door (laughs) Yeah, not be too loud i tell you yeah when it's time to eat lunch and, and when it's time to take a nap and when it's time to get real serious about um being successful and so those i think those things are helpful interactions too with the yes. kid to define those roles and um man it it i just we didn't do I, I regret not doing a podcast with my dad when he was we elk hunted last week mm, that would have cool he followed me on instagram you saw a little bit of that action but um you know it was time i think he wanted to spend with with my kids so did he have
2: a i know he had a great time but like did he? Did he have a great time?
1: Yeah, I think I think he did. And and it, it, this is the same thing we were talking about coming up the creek here after we didn't get into those bulls like we wanted to today. You're tired. You're you're thinking hard about like the little failures and the little idiosyncrasies that didn't go right. You're tired. You you are if if you're like me and you're really starting to get um, hard on yourself and competitive and you know. Like that inner voice that says, like, you can do better. You need to do better. You need to work harder. This is something you really want to get good at. I think he had that, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, I thought it was interesting to see him go through that because he got a new bow. He got a new Matthews bow. He shot a crossbow for years, so he, he worked hard. I mean, he was calling me. That was almost the coolest part of our hunt, for him to call me twice a week or him to send me pictures of his groups every time he showed yeah. his bow. Yeah. Um, that was almost as cool as anything. And then to see him he has my dad has a great appreciation for nature. Um and a great appreciation for all wildlife. He knows every bird, he knows every tree, he understands mm. the rhythms of nature. And to see him hike up on a ridge with me and look over into a valley and, and see this like most beautiful vista and just have him kind of be like, Hey, let's stop a minute. You wanna just stop a minute and look here? And, and you know, a lot of wows, a lot of amazing.
2: Was he mainly a deer hunter back in Maryland? Yeah,
1: yeah, mainly deer hunter. I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, I think he found he found these other types of hunting through me when I got into the industry and started doing some things and started really being realizing my own passion expanded from what we did as kids. You know, we were those weekend deer hunters as kids. We hunted a lot of deer. As much as we possibly could. You're dodging like you are now. You're dodging your new job and your your sports and your, mm-hmm. you're kind of doing that. So you kind of become a weekend hunter only by that's the only time you have to go and he would have to go because he ran a small business. But, yeah, we were very right. much like the very common Eastern weekend warrior deer hunters. We ponded as much as we could in the fall and that's kind of all we What's did? the
2: acronym for that? Common Eastern <laughs> Weekend Seed?
1: Warrior Deer Hunters. Sued. SEED. Yeah. Huh. We could work on it. We got yeah. a lot of marketing ideas. We'll talk about bear grease here in a minute. <laughs> what we can do with that. But see, so, yeah, that was it. I mean that, you know, it felt really normal. It felt very communal. It felt um just like another thing that we did. Uh we also sat around and watched sports a lot. That was just another <laughs> thing we did. Yeah. You know, but hunting was just like It's pretty cool th- that you
2: could bring him out here and pretty much hunt from the house if I, you know, you yeah. driving from your house and yeah. he was seeing your kids. That's cool.
1: Yeah, it was a good combination. Kind of a
2: family, family deal. Yeah,
1: we would hunt in the morning and then go grab lunch, and I would work, and uh, he would see my kids and and spend time with his grandkids because he doesn't get to see them as often as I know he and I would both like. And so that was a good combination, like a weird mix, a weird transitional mix in our lives, I think, because yeah. eventually, hopefully, those two boys will be with us, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, you know what? I, I'll say this honestly, and this is something I don't didn't know that I wanted would say publicly, but I I will. Is that it? I got, I like, I got desperate for him to live a long time. <laughs> you know, mm. I was dead, like walking around the woods with him, being like, man, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he had heart surgery this year, he had yeah. um, heart issues, he has heart issues for a long time, and walking around the woods with him and seeing him with my young children, I got that was like this, not, not even quiet desperation. This was like a very loud desperation that this man lived for a very long time and so we could see this kind of all come come back you know to have a my sons as 12 year olds with him and me like i gotta have that so i'm uh if you're a cardiologist call me up (laughs) i I need tips for my old man Mm. um so yeah that there that was part of it too an interesting part of it there's something that was more internal for me than i thought it would be um, you know, and up doing it during a pandemic so also kinda of makes you realize lots of things.
2: We uh I said we're probably Elk Hunters are probably few in, in in the statistical category of small what am I trying to say? We're the only people in North America right now that aren't wa- hadn't washed their hands in seven days. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I was today. looking at
1: my fingernails when I was making that hand analogy, I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> this ain't looking good. <laughs> Most people in the pandemic babies. are <laughs> or
2: using hand sanitizer. We're all, like, cooking food with each other and, like, yeah. reaching in the pickle jar.
1: Here's a good point that I'd like to hear your your thoughts on. I feel, and I've probably said this on the show before, I, I do feel in a hunt like this, it takes me about a day and a half to two days to slough off society, mm-hmm. to get rid of it, to, to, to slough off any kind of work-life balance things that are family balance things that are bothering me work, you know, slough off this idea that I could might go be able to sit on the couch or I might be able to go in the air conditioning or I might be, you know, it takes me about two days to kind of mentally and physically, you know, expel all of that softness. And then it starts to get good. Yeah. You know, you can hike a ridge and think like, I, I, I haven't looked in a mirror in three days. I don't know what I look like. I don't care. I don't know what I smell like. I don't care. All I care about is this hill and that elk and yeah, the rest of it. Is gone
2: yeah I'd say that's a, that's really close to what I, how I would describe it it's a unique feeling that I don't know that a lot of humans get to have um, there are there are other people that are using outdoor uh, the outdoors and in, in extended for extended time periods but they're few and far between mm-hmm. I mean like what other thing would cause us to come out here for seven days and camp like this I mean we wouldn't just come out here to camp we very few people would come out here just to hike for seven days yeah like the hunting experience is one of those things that draws us into wild places and it does take some time to adjust to that and by about day three and especially on day four you don't even know what day it is yeah i think by by the fourth day you don't know if it's uh tuesday or wednesday or i find i lose track of that yeah and and then you're just kind of in this rhythm and it feels it always on the f- the first part of the hunt it always feels like you've got this enormous amount of time and then by about the <laughs> fifth day the days just fly by and every opportunity just seems like it's doubled in speed and here we are on the seventh day and uh and i mean i f- honestly I I don't feel fatigued uh, I guess mentally maybe a little bit just because of we've not killed an elk but like almost
1: I almost I just I just feel like this is where I live I god man I I could not express how much I think this is where I should be I, yeah. like I can't express how much like wearing these first light clothes feels like what I should be doing all the time does, I just when I take them off I, and wash them in the wash, I am so sad that I now have to, like, put on a collared shirt or I just, it, man, I could never, I'll never, I don't know, maybe I'll write a book one day, but I'll never be able to express how much this feels like what I ought to be doing.
2: Yeah. Well, what, what were we saying yesterday, Ben, that they estimate that there's been 108 billion humans that have ever mm-hmm. lived on the earth and most of those humans were hunter gatherers yeah most of them yeah i mean yeah. they they this was their life
1: yeah i mean i i you know we're not roughing we're gonna camp we, we made antelope you know potatoes and onions last night and but it's like it's that even that element of it still you're without some of the things that become negatives in your life you know you're mm-hmm. kind of without some of the modernity that that kind of can if you allow it to become poisonous. Um and, and it just it just feels like when you're pri- when you're when it's rhythmic like you said, when you're in a rhythmic situation with a landscape like we are here. What are we doing right now? These elk are laying down, what are we doing? Laying, laying down. When they're they're elk are on their Colby's feet. Lying down. cole's taking a nap. When when the elk are on their feet, we're on their feet. We're working hard. Um we wanna go we wanna be at water when they go to water. You know, and so when you get in that rhythm and that's kind of your primary, other things are distractions from that, you know, that to me, that element is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And it 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 eliminates this idea that I have to be clean or I have to look a certain way or I have to act a certain way. The only thing that matters is I'm willing to get up at 4.30 in the morning and do whatever I have to do, you know, to to be in that rhythm and to... Yeah. Experience that, and that's it's and hard we, to explain. If we did
2: this every day of our life, and our our means of survival was actually acquiring meat and and edible goods and finding shelter and whatnot, we'd get real good real quick at knowing what was worth expending energy towards. Yeah. Yesterday, the wind was blowing thirty miles per hour, and we all got up and went out hunting. And uh, we said after the morning, we were like. When you have seven days to hunt, you hunt on days like this. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you yeah. don't stay back. You just can't. But if we if if we did this three hundred and sixty five days a year, this is the day that you stay back at camp and yeah. put on calories from what you killed three days before.
1: Yeah. I mean our limiting factors here are like the thing that we left. Society, family. I don't want. To, this is not in a negative connotation in any way. Like the push and pull of this experience, in terms of what limits us from being out here forever, mm-hmm. is the, is the things we have back home. Is the things that we have as responsibilities. is things we have as our you know the things that give us fulfillment back there, um, and our priorities in our lives. That's the push pull ultimately yeah. of the time. When you say seven days seven days is about as much time as you can expend doing this and still have yeah. a functional life when you get back yeah. uh, and not do any real harm to your daily life or your work life or, or anything yeah. like that. You know? Man,
2: my wife's rooting for us. She, uh, she the first, I mean, I feel most pressure, Ben, from her. for She wants to yeah. eat an elk, man. Yeah, my she wife's loves, the same way. She loves elk. She wants to eat an elk. And on the second day over here in this other little draw, um, when I was within striking distance of two velvet spikes and a couple of cows, I took this video, and Bear was with me, yep. and I videoed these elk, and then I spun it around to Bear, and then I ended up later sending that to Misty. And she said, uh, she said, what's the problem? Why didn't you shoot those up? And I said, well, they were only cows. I didn't tell her about the spikes. I said they were cows. And she said, ah, there's the problem, Clay. Those are not cows. Those were elk. <laughs> yep. Sometimes That's good. sometimes your, uh, That's your spouse good. says something.
1: That's pretty good.
2: And you realize that uh, they may not be on the same page as you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. She was like, those aren't cows, Clay. Those are elk.
1: Yep. You're not really... <laughs> You're not tracking this, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my wife's the same way. She she wants to eat elk, and, and she that's her favorite meat. And and she, my son is rooting for me. Like they have a vested interest in this too, because they know right. why I'm here, and they want. I think they want success for me, but I think they also want, you know, this all to be validated. This time spent away from them to be validated, right? right. In a way that, you know, and that validation is awesome when you all this comes together. Like the sacrifices they're made with not having me around because it certainly is a sacrifice for both of them, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sacrifices I've made to try to do this, when that when that culminates in like a nice steak dinner, that adds. I mean, it doesn't just add to the feeling. It kind of defines the feeling of, of, yeah. of when that happens. Well,
2: that's why it gives all this value. You know, like we sometimes as hunters think that we are kind of independent and like we, we like to go out in wild places, usually by ourselves. I mean, on a hunt like this, we're with other people. But really what gives that that solitude and this independent experience value is that we have someone to share it with. Yeah. I mean, that's what gives it value. Yeah. I mean, if if we didn't have family, if we didn't have friends, if we didn't have these other people, this wouldn't have as much value. That's what I'm seeing more and more is that so yeah. much of the value of what we do is not just in this. Because what if we just did this and we had no one to share it to? Yeah. I think there's a Brandy Carlisle song that says, uh, <laughs> I think it says, uh, these lines on my face tell the story of my life. But if there's no one to tell the story to, they don't mean anything. Yeah, it's
1: true. <laughs> and that goes back to the push and Colby, pull. Line. did I get it right? colby's thinking that now colby's. we're just getting to it's like it's you know let's look for elk man we're getting we're getting brandy carlisle that might be the first brandy carlisle reference ever on the podcast well and about 200 hours of talking wow well wow. done clay well done
0: For all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land. dot com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth.
1: But yeah, I mean, I get it, man. I, that the push pull is that is kind of washed over by that idea too. Mm-hmm. You know, that that you want to get back to them and share this with them, and I think that. Might be to bring, maybe bring it all around for me talking about, you know, what, why I moved to Montana, why I wanted this to be, um, kind of the place we, we stay for until they kick us out is, is all of that, you know, all of this together to be able to learn a craft, share that with my children, allow them the paths and opportunities to do, do those things that I appreciate, um, And to see, to see like in their backyard that they can go kill an elk, they can enjoy its flesh. They can, um, have that be a part of their lifestyle and the way that they live and the way that they connect, not only to the outside, but to to their family and the people, their friends, people around them. Like, I want all that for them. And I see public land and I see elk and deer and bears as a vector of, of that thing that I want for them ultimately. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, that desperation to have my dad around long enough to for him to also see that come fulfilled because he's the reason that that, that, that would happen if it does. So, yeah. I think all of that is kind of what I'm looking for, um, you know, from Montana. Yeah. That's all you got to do for me, Montana. <laughs> just, That's all. Just do Just do it. Now, we should talk about bear grease. Uh, there's no really transition to bear grease from what we were just talking about, but we should talk about bear grease. Can you sure. uh, to just just define your relationship with bear? Like, what you're wearing a hat mm. that says bear grease? Colby's wearing yeah, a yeah. So that says in burgers.
2: camp the other day, uh, one of the guys we were with was like, "What is Colby and I both have these hats on that say bear grease?" And he said, "What is bear grease?" And uh, no, so Ben. Bear grease is a real thing, and it is actually a rendered, rendered fat from the from the fat of a bear. You heat fat, and it uh, it turns into a liquid oil mm-hmm. that doesn't go rancid as quickly as, as pork lard. So historically, in much of North America, bear fat, especially from the you know from the time of European Exploration and colonization, up until you know probably the Civil War, bear fat was a very common way to uh, you know you needed you needed grease for, for cooking for all the different things you can use lard for and so anyway, bear grease is that yep and um, but it's more than that it's more than that um, feed me along here if I'm not if I'm not because uh, we talked about this extensively. But now, th- my one of my favorite books is written by a guy named Fred- Frederick uh, eighteen Between 1837 and 1844, he he traveled in Arkansas, and he was a guy. He was a rich kid from Germany that uh, had a really good education. He was 21 years old when he got here, and uh, he traveled and hunted with within what then was the frontier and uh he did a lot of bear hunting in arkansas and he had, his favorite dog was named bear grease and um <laughs> now bear grease has always been something special to me for whatever reason just that they it's 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 really a kind of a folksy thing you know they say that you can forecast weather with bear grease yep and uh, i've been experimenting with that for several years and uh bear grease does change in consistency based upon barometric pressure and different things. And there was a man named Gordon Wimsat in, uh, I think, White Cloud, New Mexico, that uh, became world famous for predicting weather and earthquakes with bear grease. What was his name? Pretty sure it was Gordon Wimsat. Okay. We wrote an article about him in Bear Annie Magazine. And he, ha- he has a chart. We, we have the chart. Uh we we published it with permission a few years ago, but he has a whole chart of when you put a jar of bear grease in the south facing window, what it does and what that means. And he was actually on uh like uh the Today show in the nineteen seventies because hmm. he predicted an earthquake in South America. With bear grease? Yes. Um but now nah, bear grease has lots of practical uses, you know you can you That's can, pretty practical. Yeah, if you could predict ma- major, you know, catastrophes. Yeah. We actually predicted a global pandemic last year. We didn't say anything about it. <laughs>
1: you forgot forgot <laughs> to mention it. We were so worried about, you know, the grease. The grease, yeah. Uh, all right, what else can it do?
2: Like, are you, like, uh, you want, like, actually
1: what people use it for? Well, it can cure baldness.
2: Yeah, yeah, they... They they very much so are adamant about the lit, the old literature that it, uh that Colby it you got
1: throwballs. you're not bald Colby you've been wearing a hat all week He's you got, got a full head hair. of hair let me see your hair yeah this looks good you're not gonna need any grease anytime soon no you're fine you're fine
2: well uh, they can, you can use it for uh, conditioning leather it, it's it really doesn't totally waterproof it but back in the day it would have done a better job of waterproofing than anything else. What I like to use it for is cooking bin. Yeah. Uh, like anything you're frying, if you're frying yep. fish, if you're yep. frying elk backstrap, man, I wish we had some. If you're frying <laughs> anything, uh, barrel oil is a very clean, very, uh, you know, it has a, it's just great, fry, like pan frying oil. Um, they used to use it to lubricate anything that was metal, like uh, flint, muzzle loaders, different things. They would lube up their patch and ball in a, musket yeah. with bear grease, lots of different usage, usages. And what I, the reason I like that phrase and we use that so much is because, uh, the bear grease deal is it's, it's kind of like this lost thing. Like when we started, uh, rendering bear fat and writing stuff about it, it was, it was kind of like this, this lost commodity that at one time was super valuable and then the world bypassed it and, you know, we're kind of, I like coming back to some of those
1: things. Yep. Yeah. We can't have it get too popular because we need our bear populations to, True. R- to remain intact. But True. it does, you know, it points back to a lot of things. We're You and I are talking a little bit about kind of the bedrocks of your life and some of the things that you've crafted that, you know, I hope people can go listen to your podcast, Bear Honey Magazine podcast and um, learn about. But those bedrocks are kind of like faith, family, outdoors, um, and there's a lot of traditions. You're, what you, you told me, you were eighth or not? You're eighth generation My Ar- My Ar- kids Ar- are Ar- eighth Ar-
2: generation Arkansans. Arkansans.
1: And, you know, that is connected to a lot of things. You know, the way that you live, what you value, the ways you see the world, you know? And I think, funny, it's funny that Bear Grease is, a, is very analogous to that in some ways. There's a lot of things that probably that you, that your family done have been passed by in the modern age that you can always draw back to and, and yeah. um, that is still, that are still useful for people. You know? mm-hmm. um, so just tell us all the things. What are all the things that people should know? About? Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> no, but we were talking about, one thing I think we can close on, and I know this can be some somewhat difficult to talk about, but is important is your, this idea of, of your faith and how it translates to what you're doing right now. Yeah. You know, is yeah. that something you're comfortable talking about.
2: Sure. No, you know, my, my faith is the bedrock of everything that I do. It's the foundation of my, it's the foundation of why I want to bring my son here with me. Um, You know, um, in, in hunting is not that i hear some people in the outdoor world talking about like uh you know the outdoors is my church or that's where i meet with god that that can be that can be true but if this is the only place that uh, that you you meet with god it, for me that wouldn't be enough um but my uh yeah, just this is this is this is. Uh, I'm always looking for ways to connect what I'm doing in life back into. Um, well, no, that's the wrong. That's the wrong way to say it. I'm I'm scrambling around here, Ben. That's all right. Forgive me.
1: No, no forgiveness needed. Yeah. Like I said, these some of these things are just hard to. It's hard to articulate. You know. But you, you know, I think it's important for people. It's something that we skip over. And, and on this podcast, we often try to go dive headfirst into something that might be uncomfortable or controversial. And I think faith, strangely, has become one of those topics. Yeah. Um, I'm nowhere near as devout as you. My faith is probably different <laughs> than yours. But I think I appreciate and want to learn about the way that you practice and the way that it intertwines with the things that we're doing this week and, yeah, and um, talk about it rather than, you know, fight about it or, or disagree about it or project our other checked our own ideologies on each other in terms of like our own faiths or the only way we yeah. see those things. But, yeah, but I think, I mean, it, it def- you know, for me, when I think about you, I, I know that's a big part of your, you know, yeah. life. We haven't known each other for very long, but I know that's a big part of your life. And I, very much appreciate your perspectives on everything specific, specifically hunting and, and what we're doing now so yeah the crossroads of those two things is is i'm sure important it has to be
2: yeah well you know and when we're talking about faith i mean i guess it 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 we got to talk about specifically what i'm talking about i mean i i would sure. i would say i we we strive to live a biblically based life you know and uh you know i think the connection to this is that I do believe in a creator. I believe God created this place. I believe there's some, some, some of the modern Christian ideologies of creation and stuff that don't mix with science. I wouldn't, like, I think science validates God in so many ways. And that's actually kind of a personal journey that I'm on right now, reading about, uh, you know, the, the trying to understand the origins of humanity from science. And I'm amazed Ben at the at the at the similarities between um, you know a, a biblical story of creation and and what we actually find in science. There's a lot more that meshes than doesn't, honestly. Mm. It all depends on who you talk to, but
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah uh, but For there's
2: sure. there's a there's there's a way where I think it all meets together. But uh, no, I live by a value system. I have a value system and, and I want that value system transferred to my kids. Hunting is not my salvation. It's just a it's just a portion of who I am. I don't draw my identity from my hunting. My, my identity as a man comes from, just like I was talking about with my son, a lot of his identity will come from me validating him, his relationship with me, and how I, build him, if you could distill my faith and my relationship with God down, it would be that, man, we are we are spiritual beings, massively different than animals. I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot of people, I've heard lots of different things, there's a lot of people that don't think we are different than animals. I do. I think physically we are like animals, but we clearly have something that's undeniably different. Sure. And I think that thing is... Uh, I think that thing is, is God inside of us. I think it's God's he 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 can he put a transmitter inside of us that he didn't put inside of other animals and that means we can connect to God. And uh and so that value system comes from that connection, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and that's a that's a massive part of my life. And and I think where we were talking yesterday about how hunting would maybe fit into that is that I think Hunting brings us back at some level to original design. Yeah. Like um, man in the beginning was, I mean, we were hunter-gatherers. We, life was pretty simple. It was very hard, but very simple. And uh, I think a lot of what's happened today is we've moved away from a lot of our original, the original design of humanity. And I'm not saying that everybody should be a hunter because they really shouldn't. But there's certain things in life that draw us back to something that's really primitive and human, and I think that has value. Yeah, and um, and I'm not saying that that's uh, I'm not trying to over spiritualize that, but there, there's a lot of things that right now is taking us away from, if I could just say it that way, taking us away from original design. And I think a key is 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 staying staying close to original design and hunting would just be a super tiny part of that. And that original design to me would, would be, um, you know, families and fathers and mothers and, 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 and families that are able to transfer values in the kids that aren't there's so much, man, golly.
1: There's, well, think the, about it this way. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I was thinking, well, what we were just describing about our families, like how they rooting for us they depend on us and we want to bring the meat back and we depend on them to to tell them these stories and bring this to them. That That's not new. That's not new at all. Right. It's been going on for as long as we've been bipedal mm-hmm. um, and able to, enact, you know, since we were on the plains of Africa, throwing rocks, at hyenas. And so, you know... Th- that plays into what you're talking about. Certainly, yeah. it's certainly. Defined. You know, hey,
2: here's a good example, Ben. This Mike, this week, uh, me and Colby and Bear took an afternoon off from hunting to go zoom into a meeting that our church had. That was really important to us. Uh, it it was a meeting that was planned at the last minute, and uh, we just found out about it, and we were like, "Dang, we're gonna be in, we're gonna be in Montana," and uh, talked to my wife. I mean, I actually thought about not coming. I mean, that was in the books. Oh, wow. You know, just like, hey, Montana's done. We'll just eat the $1,000. This is what we value, you know. I wanted my son to see that, that I wasn't going to shirk really what's important for, for you know, for, for something, even though we could rationalize it. Oh, I've got a $1,000 tag. Oh, we got people planning for us to come. Like, yeah. really, I, I, I was, Colby can tell you, we talked about not coming. And, uh, and, uh, but after talking to my wife and, and, uh, we said, you know what, we can zoom, we could zoom in. And so we took the day off. We, we went over and, uh, and we participated in, in, a, it was kind of just a unique meeting that we had, you know, I won't go into the details of it, but it was really important to us. And man, that right there is the way you transfer a value system to your kid. Yeah. Show them. Uh, you know, because he sees how passionate I am about hunting, he knows I'll sacrifice just about anything for hunting. That's not going to be hard for him. What's going to be hard for him is to see ah, that's where where there it's true value that has to be adhered to no matter what. And there's creative ways to do it. And uh, we we participated in the meeting. It was it was cool. Our faces. We were dressed in camo (laughs) in the truck and our faces were up on the screen (laughs) at at this meeting because everybody else was in there in person but they made you know they were like yeah clay and colby and bear are going to be zooming for montana and so there we are you know wearing our camo and um you know all that i've said probably doesn't make much sense i hope that makes sense to you where there's value you've got to be able to realize it and in a real functional way yeah. live it yeah you know
1: yeah, yeah I mean that as hunters and fathers and brother you know I always say that I have like a lot of things that I have to do be good at and I have to balance and I've learned this from other people but I want to be a father husband friend you know I, I want to you know be a good good at my job I want to be a good you know pa- the pandemic has really taught me that being a neighbor is one thing I would mm-hmm. add to that being a good neighbor mm. Um, you know, and I think you would add a servant of Christ to that probably, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, and I, I've struggled, I, we could talk about my faith forever, but I've struggled with it in many ways, but you know, this is, that's what you're talking about. It's just like, how do you, when you think about your life and what you really need to be good at, um, and you really need to put time and put pressure on yourself to, to really value over other things. Like I didn't say Hunter in those things I just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, um, and I wouldn't. Um, and I, I, there may be other times in my life where I might've, um, and I don't, if somebody would say to me, like, I'll, you know, I would sacrifice being a good father and a good husband to be, to kill this elk, like, boy, check yourself at the door on that yeah. one. That's, that's crazy. Um, but I think that's—I don't think anybody would say that outright. But you certainly there's certain s- people that see these obsessions and let let those things push them a little bit further from their yeah. their priorities. Well, oh, so. we've
2: got to have balance. I yeah. mean, you know, there's there's balance and everything, and you know there there are if your life's built in a certain way and strong enough, you have a strong enough relationship with your wife, if you have a strong enough relationship with your family, you know, you can expend. You know where you can you can go, you can do stuff, and it's okay, and it doesn't hurt anything, and it actually helps things.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I think if you're if you're doing things right, and in finding the architecture for your life, and if I could insert that phrase, what's the architecture for your life? Not everybody that I know has the should go elk hunting for nine days mm-hmm. in September. I mean, like there were times in my life when I could not have. But right now, that fits inside the architecture. I can bring my son. My wife is, you know, excited about that. Um, it's it's part of my career. You know, there's just all these things. But a, a, a good a good leader of a home has to be able to discern the correct architecture for his family, and then and then live with it yeah. and go with it. You know, and that architecture is going to be different at different times. When my kids were young, I don't know that I'd been able to do this you know, drive 24 hours. Um, Your situation is different. You're a lot closer to home. You know, you could be home this afternoon if you wanted to. Yeah. Like that's the key, man. Balance, finding the architecture for your family, not shirking responsibility where there needs to be responsibility, but you can still come out here and give everything you've got and be an excellent hunter. And I, and I love, I love, I love people that have dedicated their lives to a craft yeah. And whether, and for me, that's hunting. Uh, for other people, it's knife making. It's IT stuff. It's uh, being a veterinarian. You know, whatever. Dedicate yourself to it. Be an expert at it. And I think that makes us a better human. Yeah. I really do. Like, yeah. you got to be passionate about something.
1: Right, let me tell you about elk calling in terms of what you just said. I find myself, because there's a while, like you said, like you mentioned earlier, I had issues with mouth calls. I got a, a thin palate. It's caused other issues with my sleep and things like that. So I discovered this recently. Oh man, I got this thin palate. Mouth calls have never quite worked. So I worked on it. Now that I know that I knew that I worked on it and I got it right and I figured it out and, and from here I'll I'll go on. But I felt and feel so much better as a man, as as a functional human, as a man having started to learn something and, and feel competent at something I previously had hoped to acquire as part of my skill set. I feel more confident. Uh, I'm better served to, to, to tackle problems in my daily life. It's as simple as learning to elk call mm-hmm. and hearing today and all the other days I've hunted this year, elk respond to my elk call. Mm-hmm. Elk come running in to me. Um, I set my mind to something I wanted to do. I decided that, that this was gonna be something a craft that I wanted to over the long haul really get good at. Um, and to see that realized in terms of like the start of the journey has it, been huge for me and like yeah. how good I feel just when I wake up in the morning um, And so that's what hunting adds that's just this is just one little part. you know now I, you know when I go outside and shoot three good arrows every night, I feel good about that too. Um, I'm a little further down that journey than I am with elk calling, but nonetheless, how many different levels are there? Yeah. I recently took up like, I'm going to learn everything there is about knife sharpening. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to learn, I've got my work sharp. I'm going to learn every single thing there is to know about sharpening everything. Um, understanding the blades, the material, the edging, all of it. You know, and I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, Hunting is full of crafts. It's full of acquired skills um and the application of those skills is one of the things that brings a reward back to you mm-hmm. and then wraps around all the things we've already talked about so yep i'm with you man i i i c- couldn't replace that i don't think only because it's a three-dimensional this is a three-dimensional skill craft yeah. not only if i learn you know think i've learned I guess I guess if you learn woodworking and you build a table and then you're eating with your family on that table, you've kind of realized the entire experience. Yeah. Same thing here. If you learn how to sharpen a knife really well, and you learn how to call, and you learn how to shoot your bow, and that all comes together, and then you get to experience that with your yeah. family, that's I think that's probably the definition of that craft.
2: And you know, dedication to craft. Any, if you were to dissect, you know, like a a great knife maker or a great musician or a great elk hunter or a great woodworker. They you would you would be able to fundamentally get down to the same essential qualities of people that had persistence, they had curiosity, they had they had to gain knowledge, they had to practically apply that knowledge because there's all these different steps that people yeah. don't follow all the way through like maybe you have the knowledge but you never sharpen your knife you yep. never dedicate the time to actually scratching on it or maybe you scratch on a stone all the time like I did when I was in college for six months and never could stink get the knife sharp and then you realize ah there's a knowledge base and you you know you learn actually the the technology of an edge. And like, but all these, like whatever it is, all these things funnel down to character inside yeah. of a person, I feel like. And um, and that's what ultimately has value because that character then can flow into other parts of your life. And sure. that's true, man. It really does, it can. And uh, um, so.
1: Yeah, and it's never, and you're never, look, I'm 34, you know, and I've been in the hunting industry for 11, 11 years, 12 years, I don't know how long it's been. It's been a while, it's been over a decade. Um, and I don't, I'm not like, I don't have any ego. I'm not a finished product. I don't think I'm better at this than anyone. And I hope I never will, even if I actually am, even if the time comes where those elk heads in my house came from, you know, a foundational learning experience and craftsmanship, woodsmanship, instead of uh, money and a guide, you know? And so, you know, even when that happens, I I hope to still you know eliminate these these parts of like, well, I'm good at this now, um, and continue to just find other things you know, to improve
2: upon. About a month ago, we we interviewed a guy, and I don't know that we're going to get to air the interview because he was uh, I'm not going to tell the state, but he was a he was a government lion hunter. Oh. And uh, and honestly, he's probably one of the best lion hunters on the continent right now. And he told me, well, what's interesting Ben about him was, because he's a government lion hunter, he doesn't have an Instagram page, he doesn't have a website. he's not <laughs> trying to sell hunts. He, it was like the distillation of this man, he, it, there was no ego. He was his job was to catch lions with hounds, and he used mules. And, uh, and he hunts, I mean, 300 days a year catching lions. And, uh, and he told me, he talked about another man in another state that he said was the best dry ground lion hunter that ever drew a breath of air on the earth. And that man was this man's mentor. I wish I could say all their names. And he said, what makes that man so great was the fact that he never knew how good he was, and he still doesn't. His humility led him through life and led him on a search for knowledge that he's still on, even though right now he's probably the best, you know, the mentor, the other guy yep. that I d- hadn't met yet. And and I said, wait a minute, you're telling me? I stopped him, and I said, you're telling me that humility is what makes that guy great and he said absolutely he yeah. said when you think you know it you stop learning yeah when you know that you don't know you keep learning and there's no cap to that yeah it never ends and i it was so simple it but it you take that into any part of your life you know we you know and this even goes back to you know biblical value system i mean humility is a key definer of should be of all of our lives, is that we know that we don't know, but we're in a search to know. Not a false humility that's just like, oh, woe is me. But just uh, humility brings realism. Humility brings, yeah, I I know I'm not a good elk hunter. Um, I'm trying to be a good elk hunter. I'm going to learn. Anyway, I thought that was powerful. It is.
1: I think of the hunting, if we just turn inward for a minute and you think about like the hunting world and what the hunting world both both of you and i are both in hunting media we both have been so for a while we both do it for a living and and kind of the things that the hunting industry itself searches for this expertise the representation of product you know the 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 authenticity all of those things i think are important but I think we grasp for them too hard. I think we, mm-hmm. we pursue them with too much fervor. We don't sit back and say, you know, how can we represent what we're talking about to the people that want to get into hunting? Understand, it's going to be hard. There are certain people that have ways of doing things that they've, they've crafted over years and years and years of experience and conditioning. Uh, they, they are sharpening themselves and they can help you get going. You know, are they experts? Yes. Um, are Is there an ultimate expert in any one of these pursuits? Absolutely not. Um, and I wish, I kind of wish someone would have told me way earlier, and maybe I just had to get to this place. But like, don't microwave it. Don't microwave it. Because if you, if you think that you can skip 10 steps and all of a sudden start killing big stuff, and that's the purpose, hopefully what I've said here today, I don't think I've talked about this on the show very much at all. But hopefully that story that I've told about kind of my own journey could teach anyone out there that, and even this hunt, we you came all the way up here from Arkansas, spent all this time, and probably aren't going to go home with an elk unless we get a Hail Mary at the last moment here. Um, yet, that's a part of a larger journey, and it's an important part of, yeah. of that journey. And so, you know, don't microwave it. If you're out there and you got an Instagram page and you want to get you can't followers, can't cheat the process. Don't cheat the process. You well, you can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I,
2: because I, even if you go on a,
1: you can fake yourself. You can go. You, you can, can kill. It. You can kill three giant elk this year, um, and and put those out and and, and start to gain notoriety for that or or whatever. Right. But right. but as you said, the process is always gonna be there and it always requires one thing of you, which is dedication and humility. And Two so things.
2: that's where the real value of everything that we do in our life has to be about the process. Yeah. Like I'll go home from this hunt and and if I if I go home without an elk, I I will have valued the process. Yeah. I really will. I mean, there's just no way to get there. Like if the end goal was elk horns, it would have been better off for me to stay in Arkansas and save up fifteen thousand dollars, which I'm just not going to do and you know buy some hunt somewhere. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do it this way, and um, yeah. That, so there, there's there's got to be value, you know, honor inside of that. And, yeah. and personally, I'm not I'm not looking for that. There's going to be no honor on Instagram for the sunset pictures I post.
1: Well, that's what I was um, going to say. I still I still yeah. I, don't mistake me for saying that I I didn't come here to kill an elk and that I failed. Right. Don't right. mistake that for. For me, you know, fluffing this up, yeah, and and saying, "Hey guys, no, guys," I'm guys. I'm the same man. I came here to kill an elk. I came here to kill an elk, and I didn't. So I'm not saying that I came like that. I'm I'm accepting the failure as some sort of uh, consolation prize. I'm not. It pisses me off extremely. I'll be thinking about it every night until I actually get one of these things on the ground. But there are there is a parallel to that that I also have to take parts of this failure and apply to the craft i'm trying to to learn yeah. you know and that both those things could be true at the same time uh, this is this is just
2: one one hunt and a bigger a bigger puzzle and that puzzle will come to completion at some point
1: yeah for so, sure
2: i know it is for me i mean and and i'm still trying to figure out how big that puzzle is you know <laughs> yeah. i thought well colorado, how many pieces over, yeah. yeah colorado over the counter last year we almost killed an elk Actually, could have but passed it. Didn't know it was legal. Maybe I already told that story. And then I thought, well, okay. Well, then here's this piece. We'll go to Montana, and I really thought we'd we'd kill an elk. And and the hunt's not over. You're right. We still we still got we still got some time, but uh, it's just part of the part of the puzzle. And you've got to you've got to value that journey.
1: Yeah. And so the the end of our journey is probably going to be. We should probably sit here. We're sitting by a creek. There's water. We know there's an elk probably 600 yards up in this timber bedded with his cows. And I really hope he gets thirsty soon. Yeah. I really hope he's sitting up I there going. I wish we could cross mm. that creek, but we can't. I wish he's up there going. Mm. God, I feel parched. Mm. can really use a beverage. Maybe I'll just jaunt down over the hill. Like crack a bottle open. You know, maybe I'll just jaunt down over that hill and take a little sippy sip. And then next thing you know, Clay Newcomb sneaks up and gives him one. Anyhow, uh, well, man, it's been fun. It's been a fun week. Um, I think hunting with you is, is we can have these conversations. We can, you know, we can really learn some things from each other and, and are willing to kind of go deep on some of these subjects that otherwise probably wouldn't, but laughing, hiking around hard country, um, as I said before, there's no place I'd rather be in September.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've had a great time. It's been fun hunting with you, Ben.
1: Well, um, we got no Phil today. Phil is oh, is on my... Wait. Oh, never mind. I thought I was looking at my bow. I thought I lost my stabilizer, but I see I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, it's been a long week, trust me. <laughs> Anyhow, we have no Phil today. Uh, he's back in Bozeman. probably comfortable. He's probably playing video games or something. Um. So, hi, Phil. You'll have to listen to this to edit it. But hi, Phil. And in terms of what we got coming up and what we hope to achieve on the show here, we have we we will play you the Paul Bashir interview. That I can promise you. We talked about that last week and the prior week. We did interview Paul Bashir, one of the co-founders of a prominent animal rights group called Anonymous for the Voiceless. It was a very interesting, compelling. Maybe maddening, maybe inspiring. Who knows? It will be up to you for that. Um, I had hoped to get Clay's reaction to that in a podcast as well, but we just don't have the audio right, and we're waiting on a password to uh, get the audio from Zoom, our friends at Zoom. So if anybody listens to this who works at Zoom, hit me up. We need your help. So we will uh, exhume that audio, and we will get that to you at some point as soon as we are Uh, confident that that audio is going to be good enough for you to enjoy that interview. But next week, the return of Ask the Eagle, Clay. Mm. Ask the Eagle uh, with the the great and powerful Yanni Patelis, who actually did kill an elk, his first elk. This might make you feel better. Guess who just killed their first elk with archery tackle?
2: Oh, was that his first archery elk?
1: Yeah, Yannis
2: Patelis yeah
1: so if it makes you feel probably makes you feel a little bit better that you know that guy's a he's a crack elk caller he's he was a guide and and yeah just killed his first elk with archery tackling colorado so we'll talk to him about that we'll take your questions and the ask the eagle has
2: has that been going on for a few weeks Ben the ask the eagle yeah this section? will be our second installment of, second. Ask, okay. of
1: ask the eagle we've adopted yanni uh over here at thc and we're gonna Keep having him answer your questions live on the air from the studio. Uh, Hopefully, I'll get a shower before he's locked in there with me. But uh, we'll also have the great and powerful Fred Eichler coming up to talk guiding, talk elk hunting, talk antelope, talk mule deer, talk everything. Eichler. And we'll keep on keeping on in the Hunting Collective. So we'll see you next week. Say bye, Clay. Take care, guys. See
0: ya. I can't go a week
1: without doing wrong. It wrong. In
0: it wrong. It wrong. In hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with Interstate Batteries. today. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now. And if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some meat eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, And I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling. Meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. i just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.